come home down the way that is narrow come home down the path that is free come home even when you're unsure of the road that you see some say there are many ways there are many roads which return into the same place joy says like a shopping mall some for everyone that will gather at the end which is near where the voice is still welcome back to the i61 project podcast uh, we are a few months behind schedule, uh, but here we are back again. Uh, last uh, time we were at the uh, library down in Wyoming, not the state of, but the city of, <laughs> <laughs> with my friend Andrew, and that was kind of a spontaneous, impromptu podcast uh, with a laptop and a lot of static, but uh, here we are in front of real mics again, and we've got Roy back at the helm making sure that the sound is good. So uh, today we want to talk a little bit about uh, the concept of truth. Is there such a thing as truth? And if there is truth, uh, can we find it? Uh, we're heading toward the what the Western world would call the holiday season. Uh, we're going to concentrate really on the Christmas aspect of that, and actually we're going to focus on the Christ portion of the Christmas. And uh, can we really define who he is, and is he who he said he was? I want to start really with a... Um, uh, quote. And it's actually more of a, a dialogue that occurred on the Dick Cavett show uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago. I'm 45, so that makes me, ages me. But when the Dick Cavett show was on, uh, he had on the Archbishop of Canterbury and Jane Fonda, and they had this dialogue. And they were kind of discussing God and Christ, and it was becoming, I'm going to say heated, but really was uh, not going real well. And the Archbishop said to Jane Fonda, he said, well, uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you know. And Jane Fonda turned to the archbishop and said, well, he might be for you, but he isn't for me. And the archbishop went back to Jane Fonda and said, well, he either is or he isn't. It isn't really that the, the, the concept. I mean, he, he either is who he said he claimed to be or he's not. It, it, it can't be. I, I equate this to gravity. You know, I believe in gravity, and I think Andrew and his brother both believe in gravity, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, like if we took your wheelchair and we took, pushed it on the side of a, of a cliff and I pushed you over, it wouldn't be like gravity is okay for me, but it's not for you. I mean, we would, you and I would both like to fall because gravity is. Yeah, I, I think people's approach to truth is very much, uh, you know, sort of like the the Looney Tunes approach to gravity you know if you've seen that those shows you know that often those cartoon characters will go off the cliff and as long as they're not looking down um, they can walk across the air but as soon as they look down they plummet because the world of make-believe make-believe is at that point shattered and uh, they have to succumb to gravity like you said so it, ha it has a lot more to do with their sincerity than it does with reality. So if you're really sincere that gravity doesn't exist and it doesn't have to exist for you, and, and that really is kind of the concept here is that sincerity doesn't necessarily equal truth. But that whole concept of, of uh, relativism where some things are okay for, for you, whether it be morals or whether it be beliefs, there is no solid foundation of truth, at least in the, in the Western world. And, and probably... Uh, spread out throughout the world now, it's getting more and more so. Uh, no one wants to put a claim on truth. But is it 
pertains to faith particularly, if you look at the world in, in, in pluralism, you see that there are multiple religions. That's been like that you know, for forever and ever, for a long, long time, not forever and ever, but for a long time. And we can say in the outside world, outside of Christianity, yeah. we've got Islam and Hinduism and Mormonism and uh, Confucianism and Taoism, and we can go all with the isms uh, and realize that outside of that, there's all kinds of different beliefs. And if we start with that particular area, the world wants to say, look, you know, everyone can believe what they want to believe as long as they're sincere and it's okay for them. And it's true that they can believe, they, they have the right to believe, but the sincerity of it doesn't make it truth. Do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, that that was really what, what Jesus was all about. Um, there were plenty of sincere people that didn't believe the truth. There always have been, there always will be, but Jesus never compromised the truth. Um, he said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he didn't leave any room for any any wiggle room on that point. And he was constantly, you know, I don't think he would have, from a human standpoint, wanted to go around saying stuff that would get him stoned. I right. don't think that was on the on his, you know, top five list of priorities. Hey, I want people to want to stone me today. But he but he was willing to go to those lengths because the truth is the truth and you can't get around it. Well, the the reality is if you look at if you look at we'll just start with the major religions, there are Portions of belief, you know, there are some similarities. I think that most religions would believe that do unto others is, is a uh, is a reasonable mm -hmm. uh, prospect or aspect of the religion. But some of those, some of the beliefs are, are mutually exclusive. For instance, if you know, in, in Hinduism, there are multiple gods, you know, tens of thousands of gods, and in the Bible it says, "I, Lord, am God in one." Well, those two things can't be right. Can't be true at the same time. Right. And uh, like on a more practical standpoint, you know, if I tell you that uh, I have a, a really nice car out in the parking lot, for instance, and you go out in the parking lot and it's not there, well, I say, well, you know, it's it's there for me. So, well, absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, it's either there or not there. You can't, you know, you can't. Um, it you, can't be both. It can't be both. Right. Well, I think that that, that really is the the common sense thing. You know, if we just look and say, look, I, it's okay for you to believe what you want to believe. That, this isn't a, an issue of forcing forcing religion or forcing a belief on someone. But it's using common sense that, that if, if, if we say or someone says that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, that he is God, that as John said, that, that he was there from the beginning, that nothing was made that has been made that, that didn't happen with, without Christ— and someone else says, well, he was just a good prophet, and someone else saying, well, he never existed at all. All three of those people can't be right at the same time. So for me, it comes down to, to common sense, that it's nonsensical to, to believe that. There's a, there's a portion um, in the Word where uh, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, right before he's about to be uh, condemned to die. And Pontius Pilate asks Jesus this question. He says, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into, into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asked him this question. He said, what is truth? 
And then Pilot walked away. And I always find that interesting that, that you know, Punctious Pot was, was standing before his own creator, at least as far as we believe. And, and he asked him that question, what is truth? And he was standing right in front of truth, and he walked away, and he didn't give it a second chance. And I think a lot of the world tends to do that. And today I, I want to look a little bit of, uh, at some of the reasons why you guys believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Because I think you brought it up, uh, Andrew, earlier before we started recording. You, you quoted uh, C.S. Lewis. Well, C.S. Lewis said um, that Jesus was either a liar or he was a lunatic or he was who he says he was. You can't say, because I've heard a lot of people say this, that, that Jesus was a good teacher. He was a, he was a good example to follow, but he wasn't God in the flesh. The problem with that is that he said in John chapter 8, he said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced and was glad. And they said, how do you know about Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus responded, most assuredly, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. And you know, I was just, it's interesting how the Lord works things out because I'm taking some Bible classes and um, the Bible class, the lesson that I was, um, uh, you know, going through was talking about, I think mainly focusing on the Holy Spirit, but he was basically talking about how God is eternal. And he brought up that passage where Jesus says, Be before Abraham was, I am. And he says, he didn't say I was, he says, I am. Right. So he brought up the mind bending idea that because God exists out of the confines of time, that it is possible beyond our human comprehension, of course, that God is existing at that point in history, at Abraham's point in history, and at our point in history all Sim at once. Simultaneously. Yeah, and that actually is borne out. That's actually borne out in physics. I mean, before, the, before Einstein developed his theory of relativity, that concept would have been mocked. But now that Einstein has brought forth that, that when you approach the speed of light, time stands still or slows down. Um, that whole concept of time being linear disappears. So it, it, it makes more sense now to say that God was and always is. But when Jesus specifically said, before Abraham was, I am, I mean, that's a very interesting use of tenses, you know. Um, he claimed to be God. In, in the Bible, not only Jesus claimed to be him. He says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. His followers claimed that as well. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And uh, so in that whole concept of liar, lunatic, or Lord, if Jesus claimed to be God, he was either had, he had a big ego problem or he was crazy or he was God. And those are really the only three choices we have. And we really have to, to hone in on, on who that is. Because if you look back, uh, I think it was in the 70s, and don't hold me to the date, but Jim Jones uh, had his cult following. You know, and they believed that Jim Jones was uh, the reincarnation of Jesus and Buddha and a number of other people. And he had all these people following him. Well, they sincerely believed with all their heart that, that Jim Jones was who he said he was. And they all went down to South America and they all drank some, some uh, Kool-Aid laced with uh, poison and they all committed suicide. 
and then he took his own life after that. So, you know, in their own hearts, they believe that. The problem was that there was no basis for it. And people always say to me, you know, if to be a Christian, you have to check your brain at the door and you have to go by blind faith. I mean, the, the right. God, God never left us with that. I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff yeah. to show people that he was who he said he was. Yeah, and, and I mean, recently, a few years ago in my lifetime, there was a one that where there was a comment that was coming and a bunch of people thought, well, we're going to kill ourselves. And some for some reason, they thought the comment was going to, they were all going to jump on board the comment after they killed themselves. And and then that was going to take them up to utopia or whatever. Right. I don't know if they believe it was heaven or whatever they believed it was. And uh, But they believe sincerely that that They believe true. sincerely that was true. And and you're right. I mean, the Christian faith is not a, it's not a blind faith. It's not just saying, well, I'm going to turn my, my uh, whole brain off. I mean, we have a whole Bible to study. And the, that Bible, um, if you read it, it, it bears itself out. If you... If you look in history, it bears itself out. And, um, you know, the, the that goes back farther um, than many religions. I mean, um, like I, I just heard something the other day. Somebody said, you know, the prophets foretold Jesus way before he came, you know, hundreds, thousands of years before he came. Even, I mean, you go back even in Genesis, really, Right after the fall, um, God mentions that uh, the serpent will be bruised by, his head will be bruised by um, the seed of the woman, and that's referring to Christ. So um, most of these other prophets, Muhammad or Hare Krishna, or, you know, there's, they don't fulfill any prophecy. They may bring prophecy, but for the most part, well, they, let's, let's dive they don't do that. Yeah, let's look at that. Because if you look at the word, and this is, um, and I can say, because this is partly for me because of experience, is that I have, you know, I started out in the Christian faith and wandered off into into all kinds of funky things, um, New Age and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I'm back, and I'm back because the Lord brought me back. But uh, if I look at if I look at just purely look at the New Testament, how much of the New Testament did Jesus write? I mean himself. Zero. Zero. Um, if you look at other religions, if you look at um, Mormonism, and if you look at um, Islam, and if you look at um, uh, Scientology, how much of those, I'm going to say those Bibles, for lack of a better word, they're, they're divine, quote, divine books, mm-hmm. how much of those books did their leaders write? A hundred percent. hundred percent. So, you know, I could if I went out in the back and I wrote a book, You'd have to trust me that what I wrote was true and that I saw what I saw and I was where I was and I did what I did. I, there's nothing to back it up. I'm the sole corroborator right. of, of that. But Jesus wrote none of it. So for me, that, that's a good portion of, you know, if Jesus claims to be the truth. Now, his words, I, I, this is not going to be sacrilegious, but his words are, would, be, would be meaningless outside of the fact that, that they're true. And how are they provable? Well, they're provable because of a whole bunch of factors. One of those is prophecy. Mm-hmm. BJ, BJ brought that up. So many prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. If you go back in the Bible, the Bible says, and this is cool because we're coming into Christmas, it said the Messiah would be, would be born in Bethlehem. Okay, uh, Bethlehem of Ephrat. And as far as I know, there's two Bethlehems in Judea. One was 
the smaller one, the, the insignificant one, was Bethlehem of Ephrata, and and that he would be born of a virgin, which obviously narrows mm -hmm. down the, the scope for almost everyone else anyway. <laughs> I figured that would just cancel everything. If you can fulfill that one right. thing, you're pretty good. But um, you go through all the prophecies about that he would be born in the line of David, that he would be born um, of Jesse's seed, and uh, it just carries on and on. If you take all those, the chances of each one of those things occurring, even outside the virgin birth, the... the, the and the New Testament books, specifically the book of Matthew, but also other New Testament books are replete with Old Testament quotations saying, this is the prophecy, uh, this was prophesied by the prophet so-and-so, and this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So that the people who were, because the people that were reading the New Testament, they were, they were, some of them were very intelligent, like the Apostle Paul, were very schooled in what the Old Testament was all about. So especially, I think, uh, the Apostle Matthew, he really took the time to say, and this was done that all of the scriptures might be fulfilled. He was very, they were very careful, very detail-oriented to say, you know, there's no other explanation for this other than the fact that the prophets said this was going to happen hundreds of years ago, in some cases even thousands, and here it is happening. One, and a lot of those prophecies were not prophecies that Jesus had control over. He, can't, he couldn't right. control where he was born. He couldn't control the method by which he would die. I mean, Isaiah wrote uh, about 700 years or so ago, before Christ's birth, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Now, the Romans hadn't even invented crucifixion when Isaiah wrote that scripture. So uh, Isaiah, w w the, the fact that he would be, be killed by having his hands and feet pierced wasn't even a method of, wasn't even a method of ex yeah. uh, execution at that time. And Jesus couldn't do that. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. You know, most, most people, you know, killed outside or uh, killed on Golgotha were not buried in rich men's tombs. They were, they were dumped in the waste heap. And uh, so... A lot of the stuff that were, was fulfilled was fulfilled outside of Jesus' ability to control it. The other thing that, that really strikes me is that we said that most of the New Testament was written by, all of the Old Testament or New Testament was written by people outside of Christ. But it was also written by people that were either intimately involved with him and, and experienced him in, in person or were closely related to, to that. And that, to me, speaks volumes as well, because, you know, if you look at Matthew and John, particularly, and Peter, uh, th those people walked with him, and James. They knew him. Mm -hmm. They ate with him. They, they saw the miracles. But they could, you know, they could lie as well, right? I mean, they, if they wanted to, they could write, they could make the whole thing up. Um, well, does that strike you as a possibility? Well, and, and people have brought that up, but I, but I don't think they would say some of the humble things that they say about themselves if they are writing it by their own strength. I mean, and this isn't exactly the uh, the Gospels, but like when Paul talks about in the epistles that he writes, when he says he's, that he's the chief of sinners, there aren't too many people that I know of that would write something like that if they were writing it. Right. If I have the power over a manuscript, I'm probably not going to write something like that. Um, but if God has the power in my life and he's authorizing what I write, then, you know, 
then it's going to come out differently. So, um, in other words, they're, they're, the transparency of the writers, of their own flaws mm -hmm. and their own weaknesses, I think is, is clearly a testament to that. One of the biggest things to me, though, is the fact that um, at least John and Matthew and Peter saw Jesus crucified. And Peter, specifically, before Jesus was crucified, but, but after he was condemned to die, Peter was terrified. I mean, these guys were all terrified, right? I mean, the, the women weren't too terrified. The women were always out in the forefront, but the guys were always hiding in the upper room or something. <laughs> you know, us were just kind of pansies like that. But at any rate, they were terrified. And then for some reason, like the day after Jesus rises from the dead, they're all running around preaching the gospel. They're not afraid anymore. So for, for me, that whole, the, the whole fact that at risk of peril and at risk of their mm -hmm. own lives, they were willing to stand out and preach the truth. Now, not many people would go out and, and preach at the risk of their own lives if they didn't know it to be true or believe it to be true. Now, granted, we could look at today, we can say, look, at there are people martyring themselves for, for, the, for, the, for the faith of Islam. But it's a little different issue because they're not sure. I mean, they believe, they believe it in their hearts. But had they been there and, and, and known it to be not true, they probably wouldn't do it. In other words, if you knew in your heart it was a lie, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sacrifice well, yourself. That's a good point. And I think what you just said was a great point too. It's not like they just they just came upon these bold people and decided, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have these bold people proclaim what we believe is true, and and that that's how it's gonna be. These weren't bold people. Peter was a coward. Mm -hmm. Peter would admit later that he was a coward. He, it says that he went out and wept bitterly after he denied Jesus Christ. It says that Jesus looked straight at him as the cock crew. And Peter knew at that point that Jesus' earlier prediction about the denial was going to come true. And he went out and wept bitterly. And he probably didn't even feel worthy to be in Christ's presence when he did find out right. that Jesus was alive. And that's why when you see the proclamation from the men at the tomb, it says, go tell the disciples and Peter right. that I'm alive and then I'll come to see them in Galilee. You know, the other, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. So I really think that that just shows it because these people weren't the most charismatic, but a touch from the master and their whole outlook changed. Yeah, after the I mean, after you see someone who is dead and who is now standing before you, you your outlook would change. Um, the other thing, if you look at um, the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was was someone who wasn't with Jesus during his ministry, although we don't really know if he had heard him preach or whatnot. I mean, we, we weren't aren't really privy to that. Um, but if you look at Luke, he was a physician as much as someone could be a physician to you know, a couple thousand years ago. He starts out the Gospel of Luke or his letter by, by saying it this way. He says, um, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So first of all, he's saying, look, you know, many have gone to the task of trying to put all these things together and make sure it was real and figure it out, I mean, historically and make sure it's accurate. Um, because it was handed down to him by those who were eyewitnesses. 
And then he says this, because he's writing this letter to, to a man named Theophilus. He said, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also for me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may grow, or sorry, that, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So you've got, you know, gospel of, of um, John and Matthew who were right there with him. And now they're writing these letters years later, but they, at the risk of their own lives, they're, they're, they're sharing this stuff. Now you've got Luke, who investigated it, kind of like uh, Lee Strobel, yeah. or CSI. I guess that people, more people know about CSI than they do about Lee Strobel. But at any rate, they're investigating it. Uh, then you've got the Apostle Paul. Now Paul, Paul himself was someone that was condemning the church. I mean, he was dragging people off to be imprisoned and killed, for their faith in Jesus Christ. So what in, in what would be his possible motive for taking on a ministry proclaiming Christ as God, as Lord? Only a personal encounter with with the one whom he was serving. And it's got to be a personal encounter that, that had to be a significant encounter. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you talk about sincerity earlier. Paul was sincere. It says that that he he was persecuting Christians because he had a zeal to serve God, and you can even make the case that Paul was more righteous than some other people because Judaism was not a false religion. It it just it changed its course when Christ came and fulfilled the prophecy that the Jews had grown up learning. So you can make the case that that would make it more difficult because they, the Jews do serve the one true God as they understand him. They, the, the, the scriptures that they um, read are scripture. They are divinely inspired. And Jesus, Jesus confirmed that and quoted from that and fulfilled, fulfilled that. Absolutely. Well, you know, we, 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 we say Jesus Christ all the time. We use, we use that term almost like a first and last name. And, and that name clearly is the, the name that is the foundation of this holiday coming up called Christmas. Um, you know, Chris, the word Christmas is the Greek for Christos, which is the anointed one. But it really, when they used that word in the New Testament, the anointed one, they were really going from the Hebrew word, which was Messiah. It was the Greek version of Messiah. So it was Jesus the Messiah. So when we say Christ, we're talking about Christos. We're talking about Jesus, the anointed one of God, the, the Messiah. Um, not just Jesus, the good man, or, or Jesus, the, the, the good moral teacher. Like you said before, I mean, if he, if, he was a, if he was a good moral teacher and he said a bunch of things that weren't true, <laughs> that wouldn't make him very good at all, now would it? No. So uh, we have to kind of look at that and decide for ourselves, is he who he said he was? There's some things that... Um... Well, and I think it's also significant, and I don't mean to digress too much, but I think it's significant don't that... Don't do that, because that, I have to edit this thing. And it's so, so much, much. <laughs> so much of the time when Jesus would say something, they would pick up stones to stone him. And why would they want to stone him? Because they thought he was guilty of blasphemy. So for people that don't think that what Jesus was saying was really claiming deity or that he was really claiming to be God... The, the people who were listening to him in that day and age, they knew what he was claiming. They just didn't want to accept it. But they knew 
beyond a shadow of a doubt what he was claiming. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wanted to take his life. Well, absolutely. And I think that's the other thing, too. And, and this goes back to the whole concept of moral, of, of religious uh, tolerance. That that word tolerance is used kind of as an umbrella form that that is really uh, allows people to say, look, at, if you hold any exclusive claims in your faith, you're being intolerant which is really going back to how we first started this conversation. Is it for, for me to say, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, that, that would not stand very well today. As a matter of fact, it doesn't stand very well today because that's an intolerant statement. But it's only intolerant if it's not true. Hey friends, thanks for joining us for the I-61 Project podcast. This episode was about an hour long, so we broke it into two halves. Uh, You just listened to the first half. Uh, Please check back in a week or two. The second half should be posted on the I-61 Project website. Uh, We encourage you and we actually look forward to emails. If you have any questions or concerns or comments, uh, send them to us at uh, info at i61project.org. Blessings. Thanks. Don't let anybody fool you. Come home. Down the way that is near, oh, come home. Down the path that is free, come home. Even when you're unsure of the road that you see. Come home. Down the way that is near, oh, come home. Down the path that is free. Come home, even when you're unsure of the road that you see. Welcome back to the I-61 Project Podcast. This is the second half of the podcast we recorded with Andrew Gamison and his brother BJ at the River City Studios uh, just prior to Christmas. So enjoy, and uh, we look forward to catching you at the back end. Paul was very cognizant, you know, when he walked into the Areopagus in Greece. And he walked in and he was among, uh, amongst some Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. And they're all sitting around, as philosophers do, probably drinking latte and talking about, you know, who's, you know, who, who's this and who's that. But Peter walked in knew, knowing that he had uh, an exclusive claim to make, that there is a God of the universe, universe. there's only one God. But he didn't walk in there with with the Bible and whack them all in the head and and tell them you know and, and yell at them. He looked at them and said, "Where are you right now?" In his heart, you know, where are these people now? And when he looked around, he saw all these statues to different gods. And to one of the gods, you remember the, the statue said, to, "This statue is to an unknown or to the unknown God." And that was where God gave him an opening to share the gospel about, "I want to share with you." the God of the universe, the maker of all things. And I think that's to some degree, even though, you know, as we're talking about truth and, and religious and moral relativism, that we have to make sure, too, that when we don't, when we come and we share the truth, that with with the Lord's help, that we find those openings to reach people's hearts. Because mm-hmm. um, I really, I think that, you know, the, the apostles clearly, when they preached to, to large groups, they just shared the gospel, when they shared one-on-one, we don't see as much of that in the, in the New Testament outside of Christ sharing one-on-one. Even with, with, when Christ shared one-on-one, 
he found openings, and they were different for different people. I mean, it was different with the woman at the well than it was with, you know, um, a number of other people. Well, and he always he always meets people, and I'm gonna say meets because he still does this today. Mm-hmm. He always meets people where they are. For the five thousand who were following him, and we find out later that most of them were not true believers because they deserted him when they realized they weren't gonna get another meal. But he said, I'm the bread of life. He who eats of me will never be hungry again. When he was with the woman of the well, he said, I am the, I, if you, I will give you living water. When he was, you know, he was, I think he was the true definition of being all things to all people. You know, there's a verse where Paul says, I, I am all things to all people that by some means I might save some. And I think that verse does get overused and used wrong, but I think the point is to 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 seek God for wisdom to meet people where they are. Right. That, that, that's often used to say, look, you know, uh, we can open the door to, to pluralism. We can open the door to multiple different beliefs. In other words, I can fashion a God of my own liking, and you can fashion a God, and we can have all these different things. And that the Scripture really meant to say, look, I'm going to meet people where they are. You know, if someone needs, someone needs firmness, I'm going to bring them firmness. If someone needs gentleness and compassion, I'm going to bring them gentleness and compassion. If someone needs intellectual, intellectual um, assent, then I'm going to bring them knowledge. And I think that's true. I mean, there's, there's people that I meet clearly, and as a scientist or as a physician, I meet a lot of people whose hindrance or whose uh, aversion to, to believing what's in the Word comes on a scientific basis. So I have to meet them. I don't have to, but I, I guess God, <laughs> God brings me to meet them in a place where we can discuss, you know, evolution versus creation, and and, and how how that can be. Uh, someone else might come with a cocaine addiction or homelessness. Well, they're not really they're not really concerned whether evolution or creation. Right. They're concerned about the pain that they're having in their heart. So, you know, being something, being all things to all people, that's what Paul was talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. There was, um, you know, we looked at this from the outside, multiple different religions outside of Christianity. But one of the bigger concerns that I have is that within what the Western church calls Christianity is a whole lot of different things. And I think, and this is probably going way out on a limb and I'll probably get in trouble for it. I think a, a small percentage of, of what we would call Christianity is really Christianity today. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of too bold? No, I, I think it is accurate as long as you understand the context of the statement. All right, so let's get into the context of the <laughs> statement. Here's the context of the statement. If you look at, um, and I want to just bring a concept in from evolution and creation, that debate, and that, that concept is called um, irreducible complexity. And that means, you know, if you take a machine uh, down to its its simplest part, beyond which if you break it down more, it ceases to function. So it's irreducible because it can't be any less complex than that or it stops functioning. And they use the concept of a mousetrap. You know, it's got a piece of wood and it's got a spring. It's got the little lever thing, the little latch, you know, all the parts of the, the, the mousetrap. If you take away the piece of wood on the bottom, it fails to be a mousetrap. It doesn't work anymore. And they use that in the in the concept of evolution and creation. You can't really evolve a mousetrap. All the parts have to be there and functioning. Otherwise, it's not a mousetrap. Well, 
I'm going to bring that concept of irreducible complexity into the Christian faith. There are some foundational things or fundamental things. People don't like that word fundamental. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you're a fundamentalist? <laughs> I, I said that once. I, you know, I, I shared with my faith someone that Jesus rose from the dead, and they said, well, you must be one of those fundamentalist Christians. I said, well, yeah, we all have fundamentals. I mean, we all, we're all fundamental about whatever it is we believe. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some irreducibly complex things about the Christian faith. One is that, that there is one God, and he's revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you guys agree with that? That's Absolutely. irreducibly complex. <laughs> that Jesus was born of a virgin. Yep. Hold, that, hold that one to be true. Absolutely. Jesus lived a sinless life. Couldn't have been any other way. Jesus was um, crucified, dead, buried, and r- rose on the third day. Bodily rose on the third day. Yes. That he ascended to the Father. If you look at Christianity today, and when Jesus, and that Jesus is the only, through Him, uh, only through Him, and in, in His atonement, through His sacrifice on the cross, only through that transaction can we be ma- be made right with God. Right? We agree with that. Right. I have, in the very short amount of time uh, in the last few months, even probably even since my last podcast, have interacted with a number of Christian leaders, I'm going to say Christian leaders, who uh, deny a number of those facts. And it, so Christianity ceases then to be, become one, one thing. And it goes back to truth. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't, period. Um, the Bible says how many, 500 people saw Jesus at one time? Yes. You know? And it goes even farther than that. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the resurrection because I think it is important. You know, I hear a lot of preaching um, and I hear a lot of presentations of the gospel, but they often don't go on to include the resurrection. They often say, well, Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for you. And the resurrection may be implied, but it's not explicitly explained. And the thing is, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Mm -hmm. But my faith is living and vibrant because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And not only is he alive, but he's interceding for me at this very moment. Where, where was it in the scriptures where uh, Paul said, uh, what I bring to you, I bring a first importance? Remember? I'm not sure about that one. This is one of those, those in-awkward pauses. <laughs> <laughs> I guess awkward pauses. Um, where, where, my... where the word from our sponsor? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you guys uh, carry on with that? Well, wasn't it, wanna... Isn't it First Corinthians 14 or... Well, it's where it talks about the gospel. Is well, First Corinthians yeah. fifteen is where he saw, where he lays out the gospel, and he says, um, "I've delivered unto you that which I've also received." Um, oh, and then, you're, uh, boy, your brother's right on. Good job. Yeah, First <laughs> Corinthians fifteen. So I can edit out that little pause here, but here it goes. First uh, Corinthians fifteen, and this is Paul speaking because. He, he really wants to take a stand, and that really 
becomes fundamental, right? That's where fundamentalism is. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as, first of, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to, the, to Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And this is, goes back to the transparency part. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and did not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Um, I mean, it really is a putting forth of the least common denominator of Christianity, that this is what I'm preaching to you, this is what the gospel is. No, it's either true or it's not true. We have uh, the prophetic word. He said, you know, if, if you look back at the prophets foretelling, not just the, the, the life of Christ, but I mean the prophetic word in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament prophets, they fulfilled a lot of prophecies, not just about Jesus, that were beyond amazing. If you look at Daniel, and the, the time frames of when the Messiah would be cut off, you know, when he would, be, when he would die. It's, you can calculate that down to the day. I mean, it's remarkable. You've got the apostles who were cowardly on day one of the crucifixion and who were bold and not fearful of their lives anymore on day three after the resurrection. The other thing you have is the old or the New Testament. If you look at how many transcripts of actual um, historic documents that were from the first century that exist today, it's in the thousands. And you take that and you compare that to Plato and, and Aristotle, I mean, the numbers of, of New Testament documents that that are accurate to the word are eons more prevalent than a lot of those historical writings that no one ever, no one ever argues about their mm -hmm. historicity or their historical accuracy. Um, I want to share, I want to read something to you and get your, get your thoughts on this. This is a, um, another dialogue that occurred. This is on the Larry King uh, live show, and it was really between Larry King and uh, three different Christian leaders. One was uh, Max Licato, who many people know, uh, their author, uh, uh, there's another uh, person involved in here who I, I won't mention, and he actually stood up for the cause of Christ. But the other one was this uh, gentleman named Bishop Talbert, who happened to be a, uh, in the Methodist Church. And Larry King, and this is the, kind of part of the dialogue, or the end of the dialogue, Larry King says, but, but do you think, Bishop Talbert, that these differing opinions are leading to lots of conflict in the world? And he was talking about opinions on whether or not... Uh, there was one true God, because he was claiming that, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein claimed that he was praying to God, and one of the other uh, gentlemen in the, in the conversation was saying, well, they're not the same. I mean, they're not the same. All gods aren't created equal, as it were. And here's, this is Talbert, who is um, a, a, a Christian by label. He says, I believe they're leading for a lot of conflicts because we do not open ourselves to each other and learn and grow. 
I have talked with many Muslim, uh, Muslim leaders. They are, the ones I've met, very fine people. They're on their way, just as certain as I'm on my way. And what we need to do is to be tolerant with each other and not assume that our way is the only way. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to break that down because I think there's two parts of that. He says, I've talked with Muslim leaders, and they are the ones I've met, very fine people. Well, yeah, that's fine. I've met a lot of fine, all kinds of people. I've met yes. fine atheists. I mean, I've got people I love and care about who, who are fine atheists. They do kind things to, to people. And there are people that lay themselves as Christians who have done very evil things. So we, we can look at what a person does and what a person is labeled is very different. But the concept that, that is troublesome to me is that we use the word tolerance because, and we stick it in there saying that we can't assume that our way is the only way. It's not an assumption that I've made. It, it's, 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 a, it's a statement that Christ made. I didn't make it up. I, I, you know, I always say, listen, I didn't write it. This isn't my book. This is his. And if he didn't prove who he said he was, then I wouldn't be following him either. Because, again, I, could, I don't want to check my brains at the door either. If Jesus claimed to make all the claims he made, then the Romans and the Jews stuck him on a cross on Calvary, stuck him in a grave, and he stayed there. We're done. Story's over. We move on. But he didn't stay there. He, he, he rose. And it wasn't just seen, Jesus didn't just come out of the grave and write himself a book. He came out and a bunch of other people saw him and talked to him. And, and it weren't, it was, it's not just the people in the book. There are people outside the book that wrote about him. Tacitus and uh, Josephus and a number of other historical writers outside the context of the Bible that wrote about him. There's not really a debate over whether Jesus existed. Well, yeah, there, well, not, not amongst not, common not, sense not, folks. There's, there's a ton of people that believe Jesus exists that aren't prepared to accept him as Lord. I guess that's the better way to put it. So the debate that we're speaking of is not as much about whether he existed because there's historical, like you said, there's historical evidence that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth. The debate is, what are you going to do with him? Who is he to you? And, you know, there's a, there's a certain sense in which you know, that will only ever be spiritually discerned. Um, but there's definitely, like you said, you know, um, it, it's talked about as, I think, um, in Acts, it talks about the 500 who saw him and then the, the many infallible proofs. You know, we're not just talking about hearsay. Um, it says in the end of John, um, that Jesus did many other wonders and miracles, but these are written, that ye may believe on the name of the only Son of God, and that believing you may have life through His name. Do you think that? Do you think that ultimately, because we're we're talking a lot about right now, we're talking about isolating truth and deciding whether or not we can define it, whether or not we can, um, if we can hold Jesus up to the light of truth, and and that we can say yes, He is who He said He was. That's one thing. That's intellectual assent. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's head knowledge. That's me saying, okay, that's cool. I believe. I believe that the Bible was real. I believe that he walked the earth. I believe he did some of these miracles. I don't think that people come to saving faith because of intellectual assent, because of knowledge, head knowledge. 
I think that they can be swayed away from it by lack of that. But, but it seems that everyone that came to saving faith in the New Testament came because of the need. Right. Right. I think the need is what kind of drives us back to Christ. You know, um, we, when we have that need, we say, wait, how am I going to fulfill this need? And then that's when we have to start, we have to start looking for truth, you know, um, like we, we've been talking about, well, well, what is truth? Is, is there a such thing as truth? And I think that, uh, you know, if you talk to people that, that say, well, there's no, no truth, then, uh, how are you going to find an answer? You know, I'm looking for an answer for this problem I have. Well, there, there can be no answer because there's no truth. Right. And it's it's interesting how quickly that, um, that argument that there is no truth disintegrates when you really start to think about it. Because if there is no truth and you have something that I want, the, the truth, to, the, the law tells me I can't have that because it's yours. And if I take it, I, I could be fined or I could go to jail or... You know, whatever might happen if you decided to hold that against me. Well, that was actually that was actually another story that someone came up. He walked in. I can't remember who it was. Walked into a kid's dorm room, and had this discussion of of, of moral relatives. And there's no moral truth. There's no moral lawgiver. And, and he was the guy was telling him that there is. That God exists, and God's the moral lawgiver. And the guy says, "Well, he may be for you, but not for me." It was the same yeah. same kind of dialogue. So the guy walked over and picked up the kid's stereo and started walking down the hallway. The kid chased him down the hallway, and the kid's all upset because he's chasing him down. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just taking your stereo. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why? He's like, well, it's not right. He's like, oh, I thought there was no moral. So, I mean, there's only, there's, you can say there's no moral law until it pertains mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I, I, I've heard this dialogue too. I've heard certain people ask other people, are, are you sure that there are no absolutes? And if they answer absolutely, they've just established that there is an absolute truth, even if in their mind it's the fact that there is no absolute truth. Well, you know what? The reality is that that ultimately we are all going to be faced with truth. Because one, one of the things that's really immutable and unchangeable, and the Bible confirms it, the Bible says it's appointed each man wants to die, then face judgment. They don't like the judgment part, but you know what? We'll skip that for now. We don't have to put that on the table right now. But the death part, we're all, you know, as far as I know, outside of Elijah and Enoch and Jesus. Well, Jesus did die too. Outside of Elijah and Enoch, everyone's died. So the, the ratio is about one to one. It's kind of the great equalizer. So I look at, again, especially in the West, we are so prosperous and we have so much stuff. Rarely do we go without food. Rarely do we go without clothes or shelter. So for the most part, it's, it's, it, it's easy on the superficial to not need God mm-hmm. until something's taken, right? There's always a point at which those things don't stand. They just don't. Jesus talked about you know, putting our trust in things that moth and rust you know, eat and destroy. I don't think ever that the people can hold on to uh, a, an atheism, I guess, for, for one of the religions, I guess we call atheism religion, right? It's a belief in something or a belief in nothing. But you, can, you can't hold on to that 
in the face of fear. So I think fear really starts to bring us in. How many people, when they're driving down the road and a truck pulls out in front of them, will, will yell out, oh God, or no God, you know? Mm-hmm. After 9-11, how many churches were filled after 9-11? I mean, bang, people are right, right in there because all of a sudden now, the big car and the boat and the, the, the money and the success didn't, didn't grab hold of it anymore. You know, I think about Tiger Woods, and I've been thinking a lot about him in the last few weeks, that you know, here's a man who had everything, right? I mean, right. he's got t- incredible talent. He's a good-looking guy. He's got over a billion dollars of earnings. He's well, he was well-liked and admired by, he probably, the mo- probably one of the most well-known people in the whole world. He had a beautiful wife and beautiful children. What about that was unsatisfying? I don't know. But something, right? But you can play that. You, I mean, you can play that picture over and over and over and over again. That you put your, the, the things we grab a hold of don't, don't last. Ultimately, they're only fulfilled in God. God didn't create us to be, to be satisfied in the world. Um, kind of digressing a little bit too, but that really truly is the, the point that people don't generally come to faith based on the, 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 the intellectual stuff. They're going to be based on feeling. Right. There is a, there's a void in our spirit that says, you know, we need something here. And um, again, I think that that causes people to really say, well, if, how do I feel this? And they're going to have start looking for truth. And then maybe, I mean, maybe they can, and even, I would even say, if you're listening to this, you know, and you don't, you don't know what the right way is, take a, you know, don't get too in depth, but take a, a bird's eye view of, of a couple of these different religions, you know, study it out a little bit and find out, you know, what is truth and, you know, pray about it and say, well, God, what, what is the right way? And um, I think that, you know, the Bible says, if you seek, you will find. And I think that that's a, a really important thing because, you know, then you will know, you will know in your spirit, it will, it will testify itself. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to wrap this up. I think that if we, the precursor to knowing truth is a desire to know the truth. Mm-hmm. And I would just say in closing, don't don't be afraid of the book because... There are uh, a couple uh, prominent people that come to mind, Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel. One of their, at least in Josh McDowell's case, I'm not sure if that was the case with Lee, but I know in Josh McDowell's case, his whole thing was the Bible's wrong and I'm going to read it and I'm going to prove it wrong. I'm going to find all the errors and then I'm going to trash it to the nth degree. And as Josh McDowell was reading those words, they cut, as the Bible says in Hebrews, that the Word of God is um, like a hammer. It also talks about the Word of God being like a two-edged sword. Um, And so he was faced with the truth as he read those scriptures. And now he spends his life defending the scriptures. I can tell you this, whether you choose to reject Christ or whether you choose to accept him, 
An encounter with him will not leave you the same as who you were before you encountered him. There's always a change. There's always a change. Um, well, I want to end with this part, and it kind of goes back to what I was just saying a minute ago, is that you're never going to find truth if you don't desire to know the truth. I remember th there was a movie, uh, geez, what was the name of the movie? Um, Roy helped me out. The, the military movie, what, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to know the truth, or you can't handle the truth. Remember that movie? Is that A Few Good Men? Yeah, it was Few Good Men. Yeah, thank you. Um, the, the movie, The Few, uh, Few Good Men, when they said, you know, is that the truth? And they're speaking about truth, and he yells out, you know, you can't handle the truth. Because a lot of times we ask these questions really not wanting to know the answer. Do you know what I mean? It's just easier not to. Because if, if God doesn't exist and Jesus isn't who he said he was, then I'm not accountable anymore. I can just go about my business. I can do what I do. It doesn't really matter. As soon as I open my heart and my door to that, I become accountable. Now, you and I, you know, the three of us know that that's the most amazing transaction that ever occurred in our lives. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like he ruined our party. He came in and he gave us life. It was amazing. But people have to want to know the truth. So my challenge, it's the same as both the challenges you put forth, is to say, listen, I don't know if what I believe is true or not because I can't force it on anybody. But if you really want to know, you may not believe in God, you may, you may be an atheist, you may be agnostic, thinking, you know, maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't, maybe you, be, you may be in another uh, religion or uh, another belief or another faith right now. But I think it's smart for all of us to, to face up and say, listen, I want to know the truth. Because the Bible says that God t tells us in his word that, you know, what good father would give his son a stone if he asked for, for bread, right? If you ask God with all sincerity, I want to know what's true. I, I believe that the Lord will deliver. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I, I haven't made a huge study of other religions, but I'm pretty sure from what I've heard and what I've read that Christianity really is the only religion or belief system, which might be a better word, where the, the scripture that we base it on tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. There, there's not a maybe in there. There's no extra clauses. Um, God wants us to know our place with him, not be wondering about it for the rest of our life. Well, it's also the, the, the only faith where God comes down to us and we don't have to work our way up to him. And that's what Christmas is all about. Amen. That's a good way to wrap up. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There is only one who gave up his life Don't let anybody fool you Come home Down the way that is near Oh, come home Down the path that is free Come home Even when you're unsure Of the road that you see